Welcome to The Cracked Cup. I'm Liz James. I'm Ann Barker. And the cracks aren't just how the light gets in. They're also often how the light gets out. Oh, in case we run too short, our show notes are sparse. All right. Corrections. Uh, but our mouths are not. <laughs> Corrections corner. Okay, so the first thing that I have is Ilara, who is the one who did the amazing video. And then I told the neat story about how, like, this video, it was the words were made by an atheist, but the content was made by a theist, which was this, like, sweet, neat thing. And then Ilara sent me this thing going, well, since you have Corrections Corner, <laughs> as long as it exists, <laughs> I should mention... <laughs> I have a correction for next corrections corner. I'm reading it verbatim, so I can't mess it up. I have a correction for next corrections corner. I don't really believe in God per se. I have a relationship with God and I experience God daily, but I don't consider it a belief because God is the phenomenon that underlies my whole sense of being. Not so much a thought, but how, which is how I would associate with the word belief, which I just think was kind of interesting. So there, there's more to it than that. And we went back mm. and forth for mm-hmm. a bit, but essentially we have an extremely similar experience belief with regarding to god but we refer to it very differently which i don't know i just thought that was cool and also that was beautiful and poetic yes yes and when alara asks to have me put them in correction corner then they go in correction corner they certainly do, do not abuse this power alara. <laughs> it can be removed <laughs> the other thing that we have in corrections corner is oh oh is that there's a pending correction with regards that anne's gonna share <laughs> I get new knees. <laughs> the correction is that uh, my knees are broken and they need to be fixed. And so, um, yeah, that's my happy news is I just found out I've been approved after two and a half years of arguing um, that I've been approved for knee replacement surgery. So it'll still be months because our healthcare system is stressed with with COVID and things. And I am willing to wait patiently for my turn but I am very excited. Do you realize months ago when everyone was going on and on about people being too militant, radical protesters and Antifa and blah, blah, blah. And what sent me a text that said, in my heart, I am Antifa. If I had better knees, I would blow up all the things. So once your knees are corrected, you don't need to blow up all the things. You know, you know, when I, when I met the surgeon, a lovely man, he said to me, you know, as if this was a loss. He said, you know, one of the things you won't be able to do, well, it's not a rule. You can do it. It's just most people find it odd and unpleasant. One of the things you won't be able to do is kneel. And I was like, okay, I haven't knelt for five (laughs) years now. I'm pretty sure this is not a loss. If I get kneeling, that's a bonus game, but um, I'm, I'm, I've already lost the kneeling, but just when you reminded me of that <laughs> damning piece of email that I have sent you or text or whatever, <laughs> did you about ex- blowing up all the things that could be a problem when I get arrested? Well, I'll just get a tattoo on my forehead that says "Don't make me kneel." Did you explain to him that as a Unitarian Universalist, kneeling isn't really the thing? We're not really like a humility-based faith, exactly. Will not be a problem. Did you give him a theological? Do you want me to write down what Alara and I have agreed as the theological perspective and send it to the surgeon? I I feel that he and I can just manage this on our own. All right. But if you need my help managing that relationship, you let me know. Thank you. So moving on to the theme for the year. Do you want to explain to them about the idea of themes, Anne? So in my life for the last few years, I have... Um, I've always wanted to do something that sort of is reflective and sets a tone for the year. And that's a natural thing that happens at January. If you're pagan, that's a natural thing that happens at the Sawin holiday at the end of October. That's the start of a new year. Um, there's lots of different times. Lots of people think September is the start of a new year, but January is that start of our calendar year. And it's often a time when people make resolutions which I think are the road to hell. And so (laughs) instead of making resolutions, which there's an actual factual day that they they've calculated by which everybody has failed their (laughs) resolutions by January 3rd. Yeah. Something like that. Ooh, the third, those people did great. (laughs) And uh, instead of having a resolution that you like win or lose at um, just thinking about wanting to focus my attention somehow. 
thinking mm-hmm. about what do I want for the year? And so that in the past few years has meant that I've kind of picked a theme for the year. So it's not something I have to do. It's just something I want to pay attention to. Something I've loved about themes, because I've been doing the same thing. That's why we're talking about this on the podcast, is that a theme is like a resolution is the thing that I need to do and can correspondingly fail at. But a theme is like a thing I take into account when I am deciding, making a little decision of life. So the first year that I did it, my theme was guts, which referred both to being authentic from who I was on the inside and not being afraid of that, Mm -hmm. and also referred to having courage because I was not a very brave person. I did not act very bravely. I went where I was pushed. And that year I decided that I was going to act like a brave person for that year. (laughs) So every time something would come up and I wanted to do this, but I was too scared, I thought, oh no, this year I am acting like a brave person. (laughs) And so then I would do the brave thing. And after a whole year of that, I got to the end and I still didn't think of myself necessarily as a brave person, but I was a person who had acted bravely for a whole year and seen the rewards of that and had experiences that I otherwise wouldn't have had. And then that I that changed my concept of myself. I now know I am someone who can be brave. I don't think of myself as not brave anymore. I'm brave or not brave in depending on the situation. <laughs> and that yeah. was a very, very transformative thing for me. Have you read Shonda Rhimes book? No. Shonda Rhimes wrote a book. It's And the audio book is her reading it, which is really good. She's yeah. a great reader and it's wonderful to hear her voice. So Shonda Rhimes uh, wrote a book called The Year of Yes. And she made a decision like you're talking about where she was going to say yes to every invitation she got. It's like improv, right? The the fundamental instruction in improv is you say yes. When somebody um, invites you into something or... I know, Anthony tried to like reframe some of the parenting things as improv. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, you say yes, mom. Well, yes keeps things going. Yeah, I know. I know how right? it works. No, no is a hard stop, which sometimes we want to implement with our children. Um, I live yes. with the sparkling ball of glitter covered improv in my life day to day. I know the rules of improv. I love sparkling balls of glitter colored improv. I'm so glad he lives with you. <laughs> so she wrote this year of yes, said yes to all the things that came up. It's not so much about the things she did. It's about mm-hmm. what she learned about herself by um, being in contradiction with the tendencies she had. And so like you're saying, you talked about being brave. Yep. And it's it's not so much the things you are going to do as how you do them how you're inclined inside and what buttons it pushes in you to think about it this other way. Yeah, that's what I love about it. What have been some of your themes? So a couple of years ago, I picked um, embrace. And there are some things I want to do in life, which I'm not going to tell our six readers, listeners, <laughs> six <laughs> listeners out loud. I'm always a writer in my head. So there you go. There are some things I would like to do. <laughs> <laughs> that I am not telling. That, you realize um, this sounds very dirty. Like, you put it all together, that is totally what people are thinking. <laughs> you are a silly, silly little muffin. It's okay. improv. Always say yes, Anne. <laughs> Always say yes. Oh. So there are some projects that I'm working on that I would like to accomplish in my life. And it feels like whenever I tell somebody about them, I stop doing them. Mm. It's like all of the energy and momentum and motivation leaks out and spills away. So now I'm holding them close in and I've got these things I want to work on. And so a couple of years ago, my theme was to embrace. And I was all over that. I'm going to embrace these ideas and embrace these projects. And um, when things come my way, I'm going to embrace them and really check in. How do I feel about that? And about two thirds of the way through the year, I realized I could talk myself out of anything. Mm. All I had to do was embrace it. I didn't have to do it. Oh, it was a bad theme. (laughs) It was an inadequate theme (laughs) because embracing is soft, right? It's a soft sell. Now, you know, if you if you haven't embraced anything, that might be a big leap. I embrace all the things. I just don't do anything with them. So so this year. Or maybe it was the year before because it feels like my brain has exploded this year. And I don't even know what day it is anymore. 
Um, this year I picked engage because I thought I had to up embrace mm. to engage. Mm-hmm. I think also too soft. <laughs> Maybe your team needs to be actually doing the things. <laughs> so I'm not committed to this year's theme. I like to do that um, <laughs> in the first couple the of weeks yet. of January because I like to get out of the old year. We're still in December when we're recording this, but also I like to get out of the old year. Are you going to like wait till part within the year, see what you've been successful at, and then retroactively assign that to be your year theme? <laughs> Have you ever done the year compass program? You, there's a the PDF. We, we I've looked it over. I have not sat down and actually done it any oh, given year. So you have embraced it, but you have not yet engaged. <laughs> yes, this year I will and, engage, and next year I will actually do it. It's part of a pro- process. <laughs> so um, year compass, you can find it online. It's free. You can download it. I mean, you can order their pretty little book, and they'll mail it to you. But that'll take you six months this year. Yeah, I've heard really good things about it. Suzanne, and it takes it, a couple. It takes a couple of hours to do. They tell you how much time to set aside and they mean it. But if um, you don't have a couple of hours to set aside, you can do what I did, which is download it, skim it and see what a cool thing it is. It only takes meh. like 15 minutes to embrace it. If you want to actually do it, you need a couple hours. <laughs> exactly. So it invites you to look back over your previous year and you actually take this huge amount of notes. Like you go through your phone or your day planner and you take this huge amount of notes about how you actually spent your time last year. At home, on Zoom. That's how we all spent our time last year. There, done. <laughs> I've embraced it for you. <laughs> while you were there? And who were you Zooming with? And what was the purpose of your Zoominess? I did Zoom preaching. I realized my dream. Yay! And we made a podcast. Yeah, which was my which other is dream. really exciting. Yeah. It's very fun. So you look at all those things and you it kind of reveals to you what's left, what's unfinished or what's in progress and what do you want to take forward? And then it has a bunch of questions about the time to come and how do you want to focus your attention and where do you want to be and what do you want to do? And in the end, you end up with a theme word. Hmm. That's helpful That's for people cool. who are in trouble coming up with a word. And I love people that give away free resources. Yes, me too. Right. Makes me really happy. We do a lot of that, but none of our, none of ours are healthy or helpful. I meant, sorry, let me re-say that. We do a lot of that, but none of ours are helpful in that way. That is so not true. We, we make such important meaning. What, what's, your, what's your theme this year? I haven't got one yet. You promised me when we made our I show lied. that you were having a theme. <laughs> I told you I'm not picking my theme okay, until here's the deal, the dear listener. By next okay. time, you need to have a theme because you've committed now on the air to having a theme. And if you okay, don't, here's my theme. I'm do the stuff. <laughs> I was gonna say if you don't do it, I'm gonna make it for you, and that's the one I was gonna choose. That must be the right one. Do the stuff. <laughs> I think since I have danced around, I will embrace the things, but not actually move. And then I will engage the things, but still not do them. I'm pretty sure the evolving theme is do the stuff. Okay, so I have a question. If that's been where you've been steering and thinking for three years, what's in the way of doing the stuffs? There's some insecurity that I would go to all the trouble of doing the projects and nobody would care. Hmm. You know, that it, the world wouldn't think this thing that I thought was valuable had value. Is that a better outcome or a worse outcome than not doing the project? Shut up. No, that was a genuine question. I know. And that was a genuine answer. <laughs> <laughs> okay. The not doing the things is harming me. Well, the part of the reason I do many of the things is because even if nobody cares, then I'll mm-hmm. know. Like, I won't spend the rest of my life thinking, what if I'd done this? What? Because half the stuff I do, nobody cares. But if I don't know, then I can still live with this fantasy of my brilliance. <laughs> You'll find a way to live with your fantasy of your brilliance even after the thing happens. It's true. <laughs> I'm very sure. It's true. So want to hear mine? Because Yes, tell me yours. Yeah, no, it's not the one that I told you when we were planning out the podcast because I didn't like that one. Well, it's okay because so, I don't remember anyway. Well, you have the show notes in front of you. How could you not remember? It's all I'm really looking nice. at you, not the show notes. You're cuter. Oh, well, thank you very much. 
All right. You're very welcome. So what I had originally for the listener, what I had originally was thinking about was reach. And so mm. the idea I've been very big on this whole look where you want to go and steer there and don't look at the thing that is in the way, especially as right. someone who spends a lot of time on social media. It's very easy to spend all your time worrying about the commenter that's making trouble or what about if people think this instead of thinking about what's the thing that you really, really want to create in the world. Right. And so the I'm going to tell this story and we'll cut it out if it's boring. When I originally came up with this was there had been a shooting in a school, a place in the United States. And I felt like I had to write something about it. And so I wrote this thing about, you know, I forget what it was. It was all the pat stuff that you're supposed to say, thoughts and prayers and blah, blah, blah. Uh, There was lots of theology in it. And I took it to Jamie and I said, what do you think for me putting this on the blog? And she's, and this was when I had never had any attention to anything on the blog. It was for seven readers, but I was still very anxious. And she looked at it and she said, well, this is quite boring. <laughs> I said, oh, no. oh, she said, this reads like there's something you're afraid to say. And I thought you weren't going to be afraid anymore. And I realized that what I wanted to write and what I thought about every time there was a school shooting was I thought about the mom of that kid. And so I realized that what I wanted to write was a letter to that mom because she had written this letter about she's so sorry. She doesn't mourn her son. She mourns the people that her son killed and she's so sorry and she couldn't no that's hard yeah and I felt like this isn't your fault this doesn't define who you are this isn't this doesn't even define your relationship with your son the relationship with your son was 20 years long and this is one moment and don't let this erase these things and don't carry all this like let go of as much of it as you can and so that's the letter that I wrote And it was the first time I ever had anything do well on the internet, like a radio station picked Mm -hmm. it up and I had put her name in the title. And for this very short period of time, that letter was one of the first things that you saw when you Googled her name, which I wanted because I wanted people who were going to say crappy things to her to, to have this perspective in their heads. (laughs) But then I realized probably she would have read it then. Two, because oh, someone so. who loves her, who is close to her, probably saw it and would have forwarded it to her. And I realized in that moment that how I want to, th- people always say like, you know, am I brave enough to say this thing? And it took so much bravery for me to say that, even though that wasn't, it wasn't politically incorrect. But I was, instead of saying all the things that we're supposed to say, instead of taking right. a stand or trying to say, this is the kind of person I am, this is the team I'm on, this is the cause, but who do I want to reach for and reach? So... Mm. That was a really defining moment for me in terms of thinking about the media stuff that I do. So I was going to use reach as my theme. And it also talks Sounds about like, like a good thing. reaching out of my. Yeah, but then it, I decided it was wrong. <laughs> so. Well, thank you for that long introduction to why you did not choose this theme. <laughs> Whatever. You spent like a year embracing shit and never got anything done. I can take. Four minutes to tell my little heartwarming story. I was just sitting here thinking about how I could use reach as a theme and never actually get anything. It could be the next step in the system. I will reach for my dreams and there they will be just beyond my fingertips. You're moving from embrace to reach. You are moving backwards. You are getting less close to do this. I'm pretty I'm pretty sure no. it's just a lateral sideways shift. No, no, it is not. Vito. Hey, I already have a theme now, so move on. Do you want to hear what my actual theme is? So my actual theme, I have to tell a story first. This is gonna be Could you tell us a story? But this story will lead into my actual theme. So please do that. Yeah, yeah, okay. There's a saying which is compassion or Self-discipline is compassion for your future self. Mm. So I saw that once and I thought, ah, so whenever you're like, I should do this, I should do this. You can think of it as I'm spreading my bed because I want me who's tired at the end of the day to come home to this wonderful spread bed. And anytime you are doing self-discipline where you can't think about your future self and how happy you're going to be or someone else and how happy they're going to be, odds are that is a beneficiaryless virtue which is a neighbor mm-hmm. to a victimless crime. It's like a, you're doing something that's good that actually doesn't matter. Like if you're wiping down your mirrors to make them not smudgy, but you don't actually care about smudgy mirrors, you shouldn't be doing that. That's not discipline you should have. So that was very... It, well, I mean, it's not bad. Mm-hmm. 
Anyways, so I wandered around doing all these chores that used to be like, I must do this chore, thinking happily, like, future Liz is going to love to have these muffins. Future Liz is going to love to have this nice, clean, whatever. <laughs> so when I was thinking about doing reach, that only talks about my career. And when I think about all of the things that I want to do right now, there's career stuff. There's stuff to do with my health. There's stuff to do with having my house set up in a way that makes things easy because I've already made a lot of headway in terms of having routines so that the things are nice and I know where the things are. And I really love that. And I want to do more of that right. and build on that. And in, in the areas of health, I've always worked on health. I've always worked on healthy eating, but I've made this new advantagey kind of like shortcutty thing where like, instead of trying to cook a healthy big dinner, like I've always done, I have a whole bunch of they're like frozen dinners that I got from the supermarket and I chop up cabbage, which I really love and I fry it and then I stick a frozen dinner on top and that's supper and it's perfectly healthy. It's a shortcut. And so instead Wait. of trying to have willpower, I've been setting everything up to be easy or there's a whole bunch of work that I want to do on the computer, but it's too hard. I don't know where all the files are and I want it to be pretty. So my theme mm -hmm. for this year is setting things up, which also has to do with the whole reach thing. So the career stuff where I'm trying to get into other congregations so that I can be ready when the kids leave, that I'll have places I can go in the preaching circuit. That is the career. That is setting things up. But also personally, I want to be doing exercise and I want to be eating right, but I don't want to muscle through in the way I have historically. I want to be setting it up to be joyful. So nice. setting up the dance things that I want to do or Beat Saber or like succeeding at some of these things, not just through muscling through and willpower, but by making little gifts to myself of setting up the structures and putting things in the right places and stuff so that it's easy and it's fun and it's exciting. That's lovely. Yes. <laughs> you know, I've been a person who's resisted structure most of my life. I do not like to be told what to I do. Have, I have noticed <laughs> this. <laughs> Shh. And, um, and I have learned in, you know, in the recent years that it's about finding the right structure. It's mm -hmm. about choosing the structure for myself. So what you're saying, right? Not the, not the structure that's imposed on you by some sense of guilt or responsibility or somebody else's ideal. It's not Martha Stewart's structure. Yeah. Please, universe, don't pick up Martha Stewart's. <laughs> not that there's anything wrong with Martha Stewart, but Martha Stewart should use her structure <laughs> and leave us with alone. her team of staff, with her team of staff who carry it out. <laughs> So for me, it's been about finding the structure that suits me. My poor wife. <laughs> it rarely is the same structure that she would think that just normal, commonsensical people would follow. <laughs> why don't you? Why don't you just do it? It needs doing. Why don't you just do it? Shh. Did you explain to her you're going to embrace it instead? <laughs> I find explaining things to her is probably not in my best interest because I'm only going to lose. <laughs> yeah. Because you can't really argue with common sense. Do you know, when I found out that um, I had the appointment to see the knee surgeon, which was almost like that got me to 95% thinking I was going to get knees, that I started to freak out inside um, thinking, oh my goodness, after two and a half years, it's real, it's real, it's real. And... I cleaned the banister going down the stairs to my office. Now, because I need knees, I use the banister, right? Yep. I hang on to the railing and it's painted shiny white and it gets, you know, a little dreary after a while. And poor Lori came over and said, honey, are, are you okay? What are you doing? Where are you? And I said, I'm cleaning the banister. She's like, oh no, what's happened? <laughs> Did you say you're having compassion for your future self who is going to want a clean banister? <laughs> That's right. I um I think I started nesting right away. Ah, in this few year right of away. doing all the things, you're going to have right. the knees. You're going to be able to do uh -huh. the things. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh, that's going to be so exciting. What's the thing that you're most excited about doing? Dancing. <laughs> I can't dance. I mean, I can chair dance and I do. No, I've seen I it. It's dance. awesome. Like chair dancing is like hugging over Zoom. Yeah. But the point of that whole story was... I'm not a cleaner. <laughs> the, the saying we have in our family is that the person who cares the most about it being done well is the person who should be in charge of doing it, mm. which I think is that really hasn't nice. really worked out for Lori because she's the one who cares about all of the things. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, mm -hmm. I feel for Lori. 
you know, that's one of the things that's been good about this year for us is all this time we've been able to spend together because uh, Lori is a realtor and I'm a minister and we were often going in two different directions in vehicles all the time. Mm -hmm. Lori would be running around doing her thing. I'd be running around doing mine. And one or the other was, well, mostly it was her making meals before I had to go off to the next meeting and go mm -hmm. back all the way back again. And, Ugh. and, um, because we didn't have all that driving this year, we have eaten better and spent more time together. And even though I secretly thought at the start of COVID that it might be a thing where we would be like, oh, gosh, I really wish you'd go away for a few days. Could have gone either way. <laughs> Could have gone either way. It turns out I don't feel like that. Yeah. I feel like that when our life is too busy because I just want everything to go away. But when, when our life is busy, but from home, I'm just so happy to be with her. I haven't, I haven't had that feeling once. I haven't either. And I thought I would. And mm -hmm. with, cause teenagers aren't always the most peaceful, but I'm very lucky in the teenagers I have. And having so much time with John, I wondered cause the relationship was fairly new when we took it to quarantine buddy but it was fabulous and it has taken away a sort of edge of busyness and exhaustion. Although I still manage to overcommit because so much of my work is online. So I am right. still working hard on that. And that's why part of the reason that setup is my year theme is because when you are setting up for the future, overcommitting is going against your year theme because you're trying to set things up well for future Liz. Well, you know, I'm, I'm sitting here thinking about how do the thing, like I think now that's my theme. Which just do the thing. Yes, that's your theme. Um, it's my theme. Thank you very much. Thank you, team. <laughs> um, because one of the habits that I have is putting things off, like even the things that I know that I'm going to do. Sometimes I will put them off and put them off and put them off. And the angst around putting them off wears me down. Yeah. The, when I do it, I think, why did I wait so long to do this thing? Because it wasn't all that hard. And now I'm happy again. Oh, you know what you need to do? And, Sorry, I'm interrupting. Tell me. Um, tell me you need to I start need to tracking your time a little, doing time tracking. I know everybody's resistant <sighs> to this. Everybody's resistant to this. You can get a little app on your phone and you can click the button <sighs> and you just track your work hours to know how you actually are spending your work hours. And it I don't want to know life changing Anne. and the thing that you just I had to make that thing go away on my phone that told me how much time I'd spent on my phone. <laughs> I do important work things on my phone. It does not differentiate. The, the thing that happens when you track it is you discover how much time you actually spend doing the thing and how much time you spend waiting to do the thing. And then your brain, you're like, well, it's only going to take me 12 minutes. And when you know that it's only going to take you 12 minutes, it's easier to do it. She's shaking her head and shaking her head. She is not adhering to the first rule of improv. <laughs> now she's sticking out her tongue. <laughs> I am not taking in any suggestions. Covering your ears is particularly ineffective because you are wearing earbuds. <laughs> I don't like you right now. Eh, you'll come around. <laughs> okay. Okay. So we destroyed, we totally destroyed the show notes because like everything we planned to talk about was based on the idea of reach. Yeah, but we're awesome and entertaining. So I think it'll be fine. Yeah. Okay. Is there anything here that you want to go over that we didn't <laughs> cover that you think is actually important? Oh, let's talk about the, the family thing. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when we are talking about, I might even, okay, on the fly, I'm going to try to rearrange it so that it fits under the theme of setup. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the things under setup is the idea of, I have a, I have an ultimate van plan. You have a what? My ultimate plan? van plan, you know. Her ultimate van with, with a, a v. v. My van Her plan van is plan. that when the kids leave home in two and a half years, I'm going to drive around and preach in a different congregation every Sunday and then live in my van. It's going to be very, very exciting. That sounds lovely. Yes. And so part of setup, year of setup, and probably next year too, is setting up enough relationships with congregations that there are people who know me well enough that they want to have me come preach. And sleep in their parking lot. Yes, not necessarily, but yes. <laughs> I'm not leading with may I sleep in your parking lot because I'm trying not to appear weird. This is why we're taking I don't know, that might be a selling feature. <laughs> hey, everybody, Liz James is going to sleep in our parking lot this week. Yeah, if anyone's excited about me sleeping in their parking lot, I don't want to sleep in their parking That's lot. That's probably not the right booking <laughs> for you. That's probably not where I want to be. <laughs> mm -hmm. Who would have known that Zoom was going to be your pony? 
Yeah. <laughs> right? The itinerant preachers used to go on their pony from church to church to church. Okay, I'm making that up. That might be the U.S. mail. The term that has been, that has been tossed around among Canadian ministers is a minister on a moose. But I, I know. Not ordained. I, I love Minister that. on a Moose. I think we should uh, invent Minister on a Moose, you and I. Let's talk about that later. <laughs> okay. On knees. <laughs> right. I'm not riding the damn moose. Um, that's for the other ministers. <laughs> the ministers with the old knees. I'd be interested to hear what minister you think is going to be willing to ride on your dumb moose. <laughs> so one of the things that that Reach really fit in well with is mm-hmm. I have always wanted to be a preacher but I have always ended up in like administrative roles related to preaching. So I've often been the mm-hmm. Sunday services coordinator or the helper or the right. person in charge of the spreadsheet relating to preaching. And you want to be the top. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Imagine <laughs> that. <laughs> we are shocked. And I've always thought, well, everyone wants to be the talker. Someone has to do the spreadsheet. No. And then I've just recently realized that the appropriate thing isn't to muscle through and be the spreadsheet person so someone else can be the talker. The appropriate thing is to go find the context in which me talking is actually helpful. And Mm -hmm. my home congregation already has lots of people to preach on Sundays and there's not a lot of ones closer to here. I'm trying to set myself up to find the people for whom what I have to say is useful. And it's really, this year has been very exciting to me because between the podcast and the preaching and some of the social media stuff, I'm like living into this life that I had not imagined would be possible for me to be a person who Mm -hmm. could lead lead it. And I now talk so much that I'm excited to hear what other people have to say. That's great. (laughs) It's been a willpower issue for me. I I realize I mostly interrupt you in this context, but there are times when I want to listen to what people have to say. (laughs) I'm going to leave a pause now so you can talk. (laughs) Oh, Oh, that's so sweet of you. Well, you know, the other thing about it is that um, there's this story about, uh, it's a Bible story about how when Jesus goes home to the community that he comes from, they're not interested in what he has to say. And there's something about needing to move out of the place that you come from and that you need to, that you need to get out on the road because there are people beyond your inner circle. Um, who will hear you in different ways and who will be interested in the things you have to, and who won't know all your stories. You know, like your family and your home community, they they love us and they care for us and they're good to us, but they're not always the best resource in terms of launching us out into the world. There's there's an author that I really love who talks about when you want to do something or there's a certain life that you're supposed to live, like me thinking I need to be the sports staff for someone else to preach. And she says, and you'll say, well, this is what I have to do. Everybody says you have to do this. Everybody's going to be mad at me if I don't do this. Everybody, everybody, everybody. And she says, you want to tell yourself you shouldn't care what everybody thinks, but that's impossible because every person cares what everybody thinks. What you need to do is examine who your everybody is. So first of all, when you say everybody thinks I should blah, 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 write down who those people are. Who is it? And Do you think those are smart people? Do they make good life decisions? Do they have your best interests at heart? Do you think they're generally wise judges of these things? And how many of them even are there? And when you do that, you realize that your concept of everybody is overinflated. And then she says, and so now it's time to switch everybody's. So don't Mm -hmm. let those people be telling you what you should be doing. Travel, expand your circles, listen to podcasts, find people. And so for people who and we have some listeners who are in this boat who want to be people doing, for example, creative work. One of the first steps is to start listening to podcasts of people who are doing creative work and sort of surround Mm -hmm. yourself with that world, a world in which everybody in air quotes does do those kinds of things because that's how you make the mental leap to thinking that that's a possibility. That's something I've really noticed in my world is that when I start to make changes that stick, it's because I am taking advice or emulating or learning from people who have made the change I want to make. Yeah. And it has stuck. And there's lots of people who who make changes and they don't stick or who don't make changes. And it's really uh, easy and often fun to hang around with them because <laughs> we're doing, we've got the same bad habits, right? We've got that. There you go. We've got that. as well. <laughs> That's right. They also embraced uh, cheese puffs. 
<laughs> I know exactly what you mean. It's true. It's true. And then there are people who are really industrious or really creative or risk takers. And if if I'm ready to take a risk, then I need to do some hanging out with risk takers. Yeah. Because that elevates my belief in the ability to do it. And one of the things I've learned in the last couple of years as I've been trying to make some changes so that I could get the knees is that it is way easier to do something than it is to think about it. But to make a plan or to make a structure, to think about making a plan or a structure is endlessly tedious in my brain. If I think about it and I design it and then I don't implement it, it hurts me. Yeah. Right. It it tortures me. I think, can I do it? I don't know if I can do it. Can I keep doing it? Is it going to work? <laughs> but it doesn't. That work. is that is a really bad place to the be. One thing that I have noticed about hanging around with people who have made the change that you want to make. So hanging out with John this last year, I have he's an extremely handy person. Like he solves right. physical problems. He notices things mm -hmm. in the environment around him and he fixes them. Yes, the first time I met him, he chopped down a tree <laughs> in his backyard yes. because it was there and needed doing. It was like, what's he, was he wearing doing? safety sandals, I remember. Shh. I lectured him. <laughs> I think this is going to be the shh episode. <laughs> so he's always fixing things. And I've always wanted to be a handy person who could do plumbing and electric and stuff like that. And the few times uh -huh. that I have ever tried, I have failed quickly and gone, oh, I can't do this. And so I would do the plumbing mm -hmm. thing and then I would go to him and say, see... I suck. I can't do the thing. And he would say, well, yeah, you made this mistake. And I'd say, see, I make mistakes. And he's like, yeah, that's the first 10 times, right? Like, this isn't that right. you can't do it. This is just the first part of doing it. Now try it mm -hmm. with this or now do it with this thing. And I sort of just have absorbed the idea by observing him that the physical world is something I can manipulate and fix. And right. it's not as hard as you think. It doesn't always work. But just earlier when we were talking about reaching and I said, you know, 50% of my reaching things don't work. People think of me as a person who's successful with media and successful with social media and stuff. But if you hang around and watch, you discover that many, I'm just throwing a bunch of things at the wall to see what sticks. And I've gotten better at it over time. It's not that you don't develop mm -hmm. skills, but you learn the recipe right, with every skill. So, I mean, preaching is something you're really good at. And if I were to say to you, I tried preaching and I was bad, you would say, well, of course you were bad <laughs> the first time you <laughs> should be terrible. Everybody is. I always tell people never tell the sermon that you really want to tell first. <laughs> you want to save it till you learn some stuff from the first time. And then the second one is always one you're That's not the real advice. She gives me the real advice. She gives me is don't put everything you ever want to say into the one sermon that you do first. Because what are you going to say for your second sermon? But there's always things. Well, you were a special case. <laughs> uh, you told me once uh, a story. Maybe I can give you a clue and you can tell it without me doing it. <laughs> about making a list of the characteristics of a good person. Oh. Can you tell that story? Yeah. So this was like right after my marriage had ended, right after. And I was living in this little teeny tiny apartment that I very much love, um, but is objectively a bit of a dung hole. Can I say <laughs> dung hole? Maybe that has to be repeated. I think okay. you can. So I, the family has always been the main thing that I was centered my whole life around. And now my family wasn't the way that I had pictured it. And I did, was a stay-at-home mom, so I didn't have a career to fall back on. And I had just experienced a really bad episode of vertigo. And so mm -hmm. I kept falling down. So I was lying on the floor of this apartment in this dung that hole. That's not a good apartment. situation. And I was worried about mental... I'd always experienced mental health challenges and I'd always experienced cognitive challenges. I wasn't sure if I was even going to be able to have a job or who I was going to be without mm -hmm. my partner and the infrastructure that he'd provided for me. And I thought, what if this is it? Like, what if without this marriage, I'm too sick to get up off the floor and I live on social assistance in a dung heap of an apartment? And then I thought, well, that's okay. Like, I don't actually think that's wrong. And I have lived this life where I am a wife of a surgeon in an upstanding house and I have this family and blah, blah, blah. But I don't think that makes me a good person. That's just the life that I happened to be in. And right. If I were a person who were disabled living in this circumstance, I don't think that's something to be ashamed of. And so I rolled over because I couldn't stand up. <laughs> also, you wouldn't live in that apartment because it has too many stairs. But anyway. And I, and I reached for my um, for a pen and a paper 
And I wrote at the top my own metric and I wrote out the list of all the things that I thought would make me a good person. Like when I achieve these things, that's when I'm going to feel like I'm being the person that I want to be. And there were things in there like not resting in one person's opinion of me. So when I was married, I rotated my whole world around my partner's opinion of me and was I meeting his expectations? And I didn't want to be that way anymore. I wanted to have my opinion be the important one. And I know that you can't not have an everybody, but I wanted my everybody to be a bunch of people. And, and include, include me. <laughs> and I wanted to be the right? chair. Because it was committee. all external. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And so and and there were other things in there too around like I wanted to be really good on top of finances. And I have written down every penny I have spent since then. I have spreadsheets of every piece of money that I've ever spent. And so it was this very exciting thing. And a year later, I went back to my own metric and I hadn't achieved every one of them, but I was getting close. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And that was just, that was a pivotal coming of age moment for me to realize that part of being an adult and being a good person as an adult is that you decide what good person means. And someone else teaches us when we're kids, but then we have to decide what to take and leave of that. And so those two things that we've been talking about this, this, what is a good person? Because we're not all going to have the same idea of that. And it's shaped by where we come from and the bad things that have happened Mm -hmm. to us, right? Or in the bad things that we've done, Mm -hmm. like the things that we regret and wish we could change. So we don't want to be that person. And we've got that one list of how do you know you're you're being the person you want to be? You can measure it against this metric, which, by the way, I keep wanting to make an imperial joke. <laughs> um, but and then this other idea of whose opinion of you do you want to matter the most? I'm envisioning it like there's the what I think is a good person in the center, and around it, the inner circle has to be the people whose opinion I value. Mm-hmm. And you choose your everybody based on who is wise. You you totally do. And they might not be your family. Yeah. So many of us feel like we have to please our our parents or our children or our siblings. And that might not be a thing. They might not actually be a healthy part of your universe. Well, and if you look carefully, you can figure that out by observing. Like um, there was someone I was having a conversation with this who was talking about how she realized that the people who she was most afraid of them judging her were not happy people who she thought had good judgment or were doing a good job. And it's so often that we like, but if I do this, right, Bob is going to judge me for what I'm doing. But then you think, well, is Bob why does Bob make right. good decisions around what people should do? No, Bob's a jerk. And I have zero respect for Bob. Well, then why do you care if he's going to disagree with your life choices? That should be an endorsement. Yeah, I love this idea of reshaping what's going on in my head, immersing myself in the ideas of the people that I admire or that I respect. I love this idea of identifying what you think is a good person or what are good qualities or what are the skills that you you really want to have and picking out who manifests those in the world and then creating like this angel circle around you that that will start if you're immersed in that if you're reading their words or listening to their songs or stuff you're going to start to tell a different story you're going to have a different story the story matters so much it is so good that you are spending so much time with me this year in your year of actually doing the things because Mm -hmm. on that spectrum measurement of like on the one end you have people who just sit around and think about things. And on the other end, you have people who are doing everything all the time. I'm like maladaptively on the doing things all the time side. Like my threshold for mm-hmm. when it's time to do the thing is not actually high enough to be healthy. <laughs> like, let's try this. Let's try this. Let's try this. We can do that. <laughs> Which is the perfect antidote to you who always wants to be wise and thoughtful and make sure it's going to be just right before you try. It is. And if we were to tell the truth, I think it's like a year and a half. You've been saying, we should do a podcast. We should do a podcast. Are you ready to do the podcast yet? Liz doesn't even ask me, do you want to do a podcast? She says, are is you ready to do the is podcast yet? yet? <laughs> what okay. made you say yes? You make it happen. What made you say yes? Well, I have these ideas in my head of things I can do, but I don't push myself over the edge to do them. And then when COVID came and if church didn't get on Zoom, church was gone. And so I spent the next 10 days of my life learning how to do (laughs) Zoom. I didn't have a Zoom account, right? I got a Zoom account. I learned how to do it. I watched all the videos to learn how to teach people. We figured out how to get people in their 80s and 90s onto Zoom with devices. 
over the phone. Yep. And sometimes it took one person and you'd have to figure out who was the right person. Sometimes it took five tries to get somebody on. But now all of these people who had no technological skill can still come to church. Yep. And that was so exciting and meaningful to me. And then I realized that this was such an example of this thing I know to be true about me that it is easier to do than to think about it. Do you it. do your best things when you perceive yourself as having no choice. Up against the pressure wall, there Every was no Every time, time you've done a heroic impossible thing, you have explained to me that you had no choice. The amount That's of choice that you have is not the relevant variable. It's the story that you right. say about how much choice you have. So for example, right. I don't know if everybody knows this, but during the year in which you say you did nothing last year, you lost how much weight? A little over Right, which is pounds. most people. In the, it took me, took me two and a half years. Most people consider losing that amount of weight over two and a half years to be doing something like a significant achievement. <laughs> and for the record and for my, my body acceptance friends, I want to say I did it under duress. <laughs> you did it when you <laughs> perceived yourself as having no choice. Without that, you would end up in a That's wheelchair right. and blah, blah, blah. But there is a million spots in in that journey where you could have said this is no choice, right? You could have gone into a wheelchair. People live happy, wonderful lives in wheelchairs and you're a strong believer in that. So or you could have said it five or 10 years ago. You would have said I have no choice because my knees are starting to degrade. So it's where you decided there was no choice. It's Mm -hmm. the same thing with the Zoom. It's where you decided there's no choice. And there's so many stories in which you tell me and then there was no choice. And I think that that's when you stopped trying to decide if or how or when you should do it. It's like that Inez Nin quote. I never know if I say her name right, where the pain it took to stay yeah. tight in a bud was greater than the risk it took to open yeah. or something. I, for sure. It's like when I feel like this is it, I've run out of excuses and I've run out. Of I know options. why you agreed to do the podcast do with it. me now and not earlier is because I got grant funding and I had to do the podcast. And so the question... No, it's no, not. No. It is not. Because you would have made it happen anyway. It was because, because we got church on Zoom. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I do this for love. We got church on Zoom overnight, really. And I believed, oh, this thing that terrified me, this technology that terrified me, I can do well, I this. thought the reason was because I said to you, I have to do this podcast now because I've got grant funding. Shall it be with you or someone else? No. No. Oh, well, Adrian, no. delete this part because I was wrong. I don't like that. <laughs> <laughs> also, the other thing is that I really, really, really love you. And there's nothing more fun than hanging out with you. And it's not that it's not still hard. It's just that now I believe that ugh, you stumble through until you we'll get figure it. it out. Well, that's another thing is where we'll it's out. the same as with me doing things around the house with John. You start the technology, it fails and you think, oh, it fails. Not, oh, yeah, no, it failing right. the first 10 times is how you start a Zoom worship service. You know, there's one more little thing I want to throw in there so we don't have to correct it next month. <laughs> and that's that this thing you said about a wheelchair, I actually... When I started having success at losing the weight I needed to meet this invisible, stupid metric at the at the surgeon's office was after I had a conversation with someone who used a scooter to get around and I was talking about how it had taken me too long to start to use a cane. And I said it it was my shame and my self-consciousness that made me not choose to use a cane for too long. I probably waited a year longer than I should have. And when I had to go through a very long airport, I thought I can't do it without help. So I got a cane and it changed everything in my life. And so I was telling the story at a potluck lunch and saying, you know, like I waited way too long to get a cane. And now I explain to people who are suffering with arthritis, like, have you tried a cane? Because it feels at first like failing. But really what it is, is helping yourself with the tools that are available to you. And this woman on a scooter said, my scooter is the best thing that ever happened to me. And getting that from her, hearing her say these tools are the best thing ever and that she felt free as a bird because she got her scooter really shifted something in me. And I think it's like you need to accept who you are as a person before you can start making changes that stick because you have to believe in yourself and your ability to do things. And I started to see myself as a person who was going to need a scooter. Yeah. And that helped me keep moving forward. Makes me think of the myometric story because there's a lot of parallels in that you always Mm -hmm. said, well, I'm not going to be the kind of person who needs a cane and I'm not going to be the kind of person who needs a scooter. 
except just like with me feeling sick on the floor of the apartment, you don't think it's morally wrong to be a person who needs a cane or a scooter. Like you never look at people in scooters no. and go, oh, well, I would never. And so- right. I had this broken sense of shame around, like I would never think that was bad for somebody else, but but I had this broken sense of shame inside myself that said, if I need help, there's something wrong. But you never think that about anybody else. Never. That's why I needed to surround myself <laughs> with better angels, yeah. right? Because this idea that I couldn't need help, like I needed help to figure out Zoom. Mm-hmm. I knew I couldn't uh, or wouldn't ever do a podcast by myself, but you said, let's do it, let's do it, let's do it. And I just thought, I can do anything now. <laughs> and so you make it happen and I'll show up. I think it's so funny that after losing 100 pounds over two years, and then I'm like, uh, can you click this link and show up in this room on the podcast? Like, and talk and talk and talk, talk and talk. talk. Evidence is not a thing you find difficult. <laughs> you're like, I don't know. I guess maybe I can do that. Like your sense of which things are hard for you and which things are not. Oh, and then this was the episode where all the people discovered how silly they were and thought, why are we listening to these people? <laughs> You have been listening, for whatever reason, to the Cracked Cup podcast, which ran over time, and so we are eliminating the blessings section, but still including the announcements, and if you have things to say about the theological implications of that, I will see you in Corrections Corner. Our next service is January 31st at Neighborhood Congregation, and I'll be talking about the art of failure. There will also be a service on January 10th, which is a repeat of the October one about mirth and dignity in the Hysterical Society, in case you missed that. Links for both of those are in the show notes, along with the link to yearcompass.com, and information about where you can hear Ann Barker preach. New thing, we're doing bi-monthly Zoom calls with our patrons. That call is on February 6th at 5 p.m. Central Standard Time. And if you want more information about Patreon or how to become a patron yourself, you can go to patreon.com slash mirth and dignity, link in the show notes. And I also want to say a heartfelt thank you to all of you. We appreciate your support so much. If you liked our podcast, we would appreciate it so much if you would give us a rating and maybe even review. And we would especially appreciate it if you would recommend us to a friend. We'd love to hear from you, whether you have a question or a comment or a comment masquerading as a question. You can email us at uuhystericalsociety at gmail.com or use the contact form on our website at crackedcuppodcast.com. If you're wondering about this Facebook group we keep mentioning, there's a link to that in the show notes as well. And a huge thank you to the UU Funding Program for funding the first 10 episodes of our podcast. And also a huge thank you to our Patreon supporters who are joining with us and supporting our vision of having this podcast last even beyond those first 10 episodes. All of our materials are licensed under the Truth Will Not Hold Still licensing, which we invented, and which means that not only are you free to use our stuff, you are free to modify our words to suit new contexts and understandings as language evolves over time. Music for the Cracked Cup podcast is done by Blue Dot Sessions and production is done by the saintly and talented Adrian Muhajirin and audio interference is managed by Simba the Cat. We are so grateful that you could join us.